folks welcome in to pickaxe and roll brought to you by our good friends over at superbook sports i'm your host ryan blackburn at nba blackburn on twitter part of the mile high sports podcast network and i am excited to chat about uh the nba finals as oh no we're not going to talk about the 2024 nba finals we're going to talk about what happened this last year and reminisce about what was an epic epic time for denver nuggets fans uh, I enjoy doing these shows. I hope everybody's enjoyed them this week. If you've missed any of the shows this week and you're looking to go back through and see what happened and, and just kind of reminisce over what was a fantastic playoff run, then I suggest going back and, and looking through. On Monday, I talked about the regular season and various moments during the regular season that things changed for Denver for the better. Talked about on Tuesday, the first round uh, was a little bit shifted around by the Damian Lillard trade on the third day, Wednesday, uh, but also talked about the Phoenix Suns on that one, uh, the second round there. Then I talked about the Los Angeles Lakers last night and going to talk about the Miami Heat tonight. So going to be an interesting and fun experience for everybody, I hope. But I hope everybody's having a great Friday night. I hope you're enjoying. I had some Cajun chicken pasta myself and absolutely enjoyed. Colorado Nugs says, LFG Nugs Nation. Love that. Love that. We're also going to talk about Media Day at the end of this. Uh, Media Day is coming up on Monday. There will be content coming out based off of that day. My guy Swipe a Cam is coming back into town and we're going to record some live content for y'all. That should be very, very enjoyable. Uh, and there's going to be a lot to look forward to for this media day and just kind of everything that it means when it's Denver Nuggets getting back into the swing of things. But going to have fun with that, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But I do want to focus in on the best moments, uh, like I've done throughout this week, on the 2023 Denver Nuggets. This is the playoff run. And in this one, we're going to talk about the Miami Heat, the NBA Finals. Never has Denver been to an NBA Finals before. This was a new experience for all of us. And even those that were alive for, I think it was 1976, of the ABA Finals that Denver participated in, uh, I was not alive for that one. I was born 20 years later. So I'm not surprised if if none of you are were alive and kicking and watching that but this was really the first time the Nuggets fans have had a reason to believe that they were the best team in the world and this was the first time in NBA history that the Nuggets were the favorites for winning the title now it it happened and it ultimately took until the Western Conference Finals for that to happen they were favored over the Lakers and they were clearly favored over the Heat entering this series but you have to do it you have to win and you can't count out Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo as they had proven in the in the Eastern Conference Finals up until that point. So not really a surprise that there was some intensity. There was some nervousness heading into this game. And in game one, Denver still took care of business. They did what they had to do. Uh, in this one, let me just pull up my notes here again. Denver won this game 109, or no, 104-93, excuse me. 
And what was apparent in this one was what had worked for Miami in previous series, going small, where they had Jimmy playing the four, uh, Bam Adebayo playing the five, you had Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, and Max Struess out there as kind of perimeter floor spacers. That didn't work against Denver. Denver had enough defense that they were able to account for all those guys, and they had enough offense and size on the other end to really punish Miami. Uh, That game to start, Caleb Martin was the guy who was guarding Aaron Gordon, and Aaron Gordon immediately went off. He took the fight to Miami. He took the fight to the paint and dominated. That was a big, big time play uh, for Aaron Gordon and a big, big time moment for Denver where they needed to make sure that their best strength could outmatch Miami's weaknesses. And they did. On top of this being a great AG game, this was a great Michael Porter defensive game. He had some good moments offensively early on in this series. Uh, He did go 5 of 16 from the field in this game, but he did make two threes. Uh, If you're aware of how this series went, not a ton of made threes for Michael Porter Jr. throughout this series, but he made two in this first game. But the real story with Mike was his defense. It was his help side rim protection. It was the 13 defensive rebounds that he accumulated over that time. And in a situation where you knew that Miami was going to attack him, you knew that they were going to try to put him in tough positions to succeed. Jimmy Butler didn't really attack Michael Porter Jr. that often. He didn't think he had an advantage. And the reason for that was because Michael Porter was good defensively. He was very, very good. And this was, I think, at the start of the point where the takes surrounding MPJ really had to evolve, where he was way better than a lot of people gave him credit for defensively. Jamal Murray stayed hot in this game uh, from his last series against the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, Just going back to this box score to make sure I don't screw anything up. Uh, He had 26 points on 22 shots, only two free throws attempted. So 50% from the field is pretty good. But he also had 10 assists, and the story of this series in general for Jamal was that this was his best playmaking series of his life, his best playmaking moments of his life. He was a fantastic passer, and that wasn't really the book on Jamal throughout much of his career, but we saw that trending in the right direction throughout the regular season. He had his first triple-double against Indiana in a game that Jokic missed. But as Jokic became more of a finisher in different parts of this series, Murray was the passer. Murray was the the table setter, the playmaker for not just Jokic, but for everybody else. And this was a very, very important moment for Denver. They knew that they had a second option and somebody who could run as a pseudo one option at at various points in Jamal. Joker was ho-hum 27-10-14. and Fourteen assists when when Murray had ten assists is insane. That's just an insane thing to think about. And then Denver allowed just ninety three points in this game to Miami. Twenty six points on twenty five shots to Bam Adebayo, and thirteen points on fourteen shots for Jimmy Butler. The game plan was to feed the ball or allow Miami to feed the ball into Bam Adebayo and force him to make a bunch of mid-range jumpers and floaters and shots are like on the periphery of the rim. And that was a great game plan for Denver. They were allowed to stay home that way. Denver got to defend the pick and roll two on two. 
And Jokic had a great defensive game, which isn't an accident. You're going to see more of that throughout this series. Uh, it was a business-like win for Denver, and this was Denver's seventh win in a row in the playoffs. There was a real question as to whether they would sweep Miami. It did not happen. <laughs> it did not happen, and uh, pretty clearly Denver got lax in this next game, game two. Uh, Miami stole this one with better effort and execution. Denver, for their part, had some good moments, had some good plays, uh, and Joker himself had 41 points, but... Uh, Denver was 0-3 in these playoffs in games where Joker scored 40. And that's not necessarily Joker's fault. Like, a lot of it is he has to score because the plan for Denver wasn't working up until that point. And this was just kind of a natural byproduct of that. But Denver's defense wasn't great. I don't think you could blame this one on, on Joker. Like, Miami was 17 of 35 from three. And that's 48.6%. And there are mostly wide open jumpers on a lot of miscommunications from Denver and missed assignments and things that they would have to clean up later in the series. Uh, but one of the stories that came out of this one, Kevin Love started this game after not really playing in game one. Miami immediately changed their starting lineup, added some more size to the group. And I think they removed... Uh, it wasn't Struess. It wasn't Martin... Maybe it was Martin. I, I don't remember, but you know, I have the I have the box scores right here. Maybe I could try to look it up. Um, yeah, so they they put in, um, oh, they removed Caleb Martin. Yeah, they they put Vincent Struess, Butler, Kevin Love, and Bam Adebayo out there, and that worked a lot better for Miami. Now Kevin Love shot two of nine from the field and two of six from three, but it didn't matter because he grabbed ten rebounds, had a couple steals, and was a plus eighteen. In 22 minutes, it was just the theory of the practice and what Miami needed. Needed just a little bit more size and rebounding to uh, battle against Aaron Gordon. And that was a big moment. That was a big, big moment for sure. And Denver kind of let that slip through their fingers. Uh, not really surprised. Uh, like I said, they had won seven games in a row. And they were definitely due for a slip. But Murray was 18 points, 10 assists. Miami was hot. Uh, Gabe Vincent had 23 points and was a plus 22. Uh, that just happens. and Sometimes it's going to be that way. But uh, the bench was good in this one for Denver. They weren't always good in, the, in this series. But in this one, it was the starters that were all a minus. This was the start of Michael Porter Jr. shooting slump for real. Like, it's, it's okay if you're 5 of 16 like he was in game one if you're doing a lot of great things defensively. He didn't do those things defensively in game two. And so now it turns into a shooting slump because you can't really impact the game in the way that you're supposed to. So was an interesting moment, and Denver had to figure it out. All right, why don't we take a break before talking about the most important game of the series? Uh, but first, I want to tell everybody about Superbook Sports. Uh, they are awesome. They are the sponsor for this podcast. Why would you bet with the big boys this football season? Instead, why don't you try your hand with the local book, Superbook, this fall? Superbook Sports is the book next door. They're just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure that you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 if you sign up and wager on the same day. Uh, they are fantastic as long as you use promo code MILEHIGH. Make sure to use that promo code or else you're not going to get the deal. So bet with the best. Use promo code MILEHIGH this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. 
Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. back pickaxe and roll ryan blackburn here thank you so much everybody for tuning in appreciate all the love and support on the podcast we are talking about the denver nuggets 2023 playoff run uh really excited to be able to go through all these games and help relive help help nuggets fans relive them because they are i think a window into what makes fandom great where you don't want to just passingly remember some of these games you want to be able to envision them in your mind's eye you want to be able to pull from those memories and you want to be able to have those memories continue to go for the rest of your life if you're if if you're a diehard Nuggets fan you do not want to miss this um Colorado Nugs says underrated podcast Ryan is the goat thank you man I appreciate that Our, our our woman thank you so much um this is uh I love doing pickaxe and roll. Pickaxe and roll with Denver Nuggets fans. It's like nothing better. All right. Let's get into game three. This is the Jokic Murray Masterclass. And if you know, you know. Uh, this was one of the most impressive games of any duo in NBA history. Full stop. It doesn't even have to account for playoffs. It can account for both regular season and playoffs because... This was the first game in NBA history where two players combined for a 30-point, or like each had a 30-point triple-double in the same game, regular season or playoffs. It's never happened before. You've had triple-doubles in the playoffs before. You've had uh, triple-doubles in the regular season, but never has a 30-point triple-double occurred for two separate players. And it was honestly unbelievable to watch. I was there. I was lucky enough to be there for the Miami games. And the tension was palpable for this one because Denver, they they absolutely needed these games to work. Uh, they needed to at least split in Miami because this was the first time that Denver had lost at home all playoffs. Um, games one, two, and five, they won against Minnesota. Games one, two, and five, they won against Phoenix. And then games one and two, they won against... L.A. didn't need to come back for a Game 5 versus L.A. Uh, But in this particular matchup, you knew you needed something better from Denver's best players. And they absolutely delivered. 94 points allowed to Miami is a big deal. Uh, Denver won 109-94, but obviously the story. Joker goes for 32, 21 rebounds, and 10 assists. Jamal Murray goes for 34 points on 10 and... 10 rebounds, 10 assists himself. He got that 10th rebound right at the end of the game, too. I think it was one of the final possessions of, uh, like, the last couple of minutes of the game. And when he finally got it, it was was euphoric almost because this was history. This was a great way to remember history. And it showed the all-around nature of both players. And I know a lot of people have used that when discussing Joker a lot. It's, I think, in Joker's ethos, honestly, to do everything for the team. Score, rebound, pass, defend, do everything you need to do. But what Jamal did, grabbing or having 34, 10, and 10, he's never done anything like that before 
even in a playoff setting. This was the first time, and he's he's been close on the rebounds at various points in his career. Like I, I think he had a fifty-eight and eight game uh, back in the bubble. That was awesome. But this was the first time that he'd ever really been seen as more than just a a scorer. He's been a a rebounder and a facilitator for Denver in these playoffs. And this was the best version of it, where he wasn't just setting up himself. He wasn't just trying to find his own baskets. He was setting the table for the team, doing everything that he needed to do. Those guys, the Kobe and Shaq comparison gets made a lot. I I am lucky enough to say that I started that. Um, I remember after the 2019 playoffs when Jamal signed. Actually, was that? Yeah, it was the 2019 playoffs. When he signed his contract extension, I wrote an article for Denver Stiffs that talked about the Nuggets are making the bet. Uh, they're making a bet that Jamal is the next Kobe Bryant, basically. They already have their Shaquille O'Neal, and I felt pretty confident about that back in 2019. But they needed their version of Kobe. And Jamal is exactly that guy. Just exactly it. He, that was, there was a no better one-to-one comparison in today's NBA than Kobe Bryant. Uh, or than Jamal Murray for Kobe. Like, I know Jason Tatum wants to do it. I know that Donovan Mitchell and, and some other shooting guards are like Devin Booker, for example, would love to be seen as the next Kobe. But Jamal and the competitiveness and the technician nature of him and the attitude and the resilience and everything that he embodies is just so Kobe. And his ability to step up in this moment was very, very impressive. Michael Porter, two points on one of seven from the field in this game. He continued his shooting slump. He only played 21 minutes. So Denver needed somebody to step up in his place. And it wasn't Bruce Brown. Like Bruce Brown was, Bruce Brown was fine, but it was Christian Brown. It was, it was Christian Brown in this game. 15 points off the bench for seven of eight from the field and was fantastic on both ends of the floor. It's exactly what they needed. Exactly what they needed from the rookie. And... Very few rookies in NBA history have ever done anything like that before. Uh, it wasn't a big like, game-changing performance from... like it, it was for Christian, but like he didn't do anything too special. He was filling his role to a T. Found the opportunities because he was working hard. Worked hard on both ends of the floor. And created opportunities for himself through that hard work. And it wasn't anything too sexy, but he made it look great because he's flying around in transition, dunking and dunking on everybody, laying things up, uh, cutting to the basket and getting and ones. He was awesome. And he played great defense to boot. So that's exactly what you needed from Christian Brown. His first big moment in the playoffs, uh, basically since the Phoenix series, uh, he didn't really have that many against the Lakers. So this was the time where he was able to stand out and and play a great role and did a fantastic job in the process. Jimmy and Bam, they combined for 50 points in this one, but they combined for it on 18 of 45 shooting. Not good enough, not what they needed, and I'm not really surprised because they were going toe-to-toe with Jokic and Murray. And sometimes as a duo, you can get suckered into that. Denver's been suckered into that before too. Murray's been suckered into that. Like I, I can, I remember Game Four of the Phoenix series where they're going back and forth with uh, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, and probably not making the best 
decisions with the basketball at that point. That just sometimes it happens. But Denver won that duo battle by a landslide, and Jimmy and Bam just wasn't good enough. Bam, in particular, seven of twenty-one from the field is not good enough. That was a very, very impressive defensive performance for Nicola. And nobody else on Miami had either 10 points or 10 shots, or had more than 10 points or 10 shots. And so just not a lot of opportunity for others to impact the game. Game four, this was more of a solid all-around team victory, in my opinion. Denver won this game 108-95, to so very similar score in the end, but it felt way more straightforward. Because at various points in that game three, Denver had to battle the crowd. Murray made every, like, he made a big-time shot. Uh, Jokic made some big-time shots. And they had to battle through that. In this game four, Denver was up and basically stayed up for most of that stretch. They were perpetually up about five to ten points throughout the second half and then ultimately pushed it up to 15 to 17 in the closing minutes. Aaron Gordon fantastic in this one. 27 points, 11 of 15 shooting, including some outside shots. That's exactly what Denver needed. Bruce Brown, even better almost. Like 21 points on 8 of 11 shooting, 3 of 5 from 3 in nearly 30 bench minutes. His run came in the fourth quarter too, where Denver needed him and he stepped up as a ball handle. He stepped up as a creator, even drew an and one on a mid-range floater. It was awesome. Uh, it was another low-minute Michael Porter Jr. game, but everybody else kind of stepped up around him, including Bruce, including A.G. Jamal, 15 points and 12 assists. Not a crazy number of assists, but he found a way. And then Joker, not his best game either, but 23-12-4 with three steals and three blocks. Nobody's, uh, like, three people in NBA history have ever done that before outside of Joker. So that's a crazy thing to say. But again, I'm kind of burying the lead in some of these games. The reason Denver's winning these games is defense. 95 points allowed. Jimmy was better in this game, but Bam had seven turnovers and shot eight of 19. Think about it this way. Nicola held Bam Adebayo in successive Miami home games in the finals to seven of 21 and eight of 19. Back-to-back road games in the NBA finals. Most important stage, most important time for Bam Adebayo to play his best basketball in front of a friendly home crowd. And Joker dominated defensively. Dominate. Like, that's an insane thing to say. But he did. Gabe Vincent shot poorly. Nobody else could really step up in his place. Caleb Martin wasn't fantastic. And again, 95 points allowed. This was the story for Denver. They needed those defensive plays, and they got them. They got them from everybody on the floor, including Michael Porter, who might have had a a weak defensive, like kind of games two and three in my mind. But game four, he started really coming back around. In game five, he played well defensively, too. Uh, So Denver's up 3-1 at this point. They were 1-1, and and then they went to 3-1. Let's do the final game now. Game five, the Nuggets survived a horrible shooting night. They scored 94 points in this game. And the only reason why they won was because Miami shot like hell too. A lot of that was Denver caused. Denver did a great job of bothering Miami. They were in every single shooting pocket. They were doing everything that they could 
to disrupt what Miami was doing, disrupt the flow. Nobody on either team shot above 50% against except two people. Jeff Green, in five minutes, or basically under five minutes, shot two of two. And Nikola Jokic, who in 43 minutes shot, uh, shot 12 of 16 from the field, 28 points, 16 rebounds, four assists. That is insane in this game. And how many times have we said that throughout these playoffs? We're in games where nobody could really throw a pee in the ocean. Joker was the only one who could step up and stay efficient. That hasn't always happened that way, but game two against Phoenix really stands out of that same regard. Denver won that game 97 to 87 with great defense, but in that game, Jokic had 39 points on 17 of 30. This game, 28 points on 12 of 16. Sure, sure. Of course, of course. It's amazing. Jamal Murray shot only 6 of 15 from the field and had 6 turnovers, but it was 14, 8, and 8. 14 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. Nothing too crazy. Michael Porter finally bounced back a little bit. Finally bounced back as both a a shooter and a driver and a defender. Uh, 16 points was Denver's second leading scorer, but did it on 17 shots. But 7 of 17 in a game where nobody could throw anything in the ocean, not bad. Not bad efficiency. He was only one of six from three, but if you remember this one, it was a very important three. Denver back and forth, clawing their way back. Miami had led for much of this game, much of this time. And in the third quarter, Denver has an opportunity to take the lead. I think they only needed a two. But Michael Porter, God love him, <laughs> gets the rebound or, or gets the gets the ball in the outlet, dribbles up the left left side of the floor, does his normal hezzy pull-up three uh, right, in the, right in the eye of somebody. Denver goes up after the crowd goes crazy, and they start winning, and they never really look back after that. Until towards the end, where things got a little bit tight. Uh, but Michael Porter, important minutes from him, did not close the game, did not close like the final three or so minutes of this game, but that ultimately proved to be the right decision by Michael Malone, who... Deserves a ton of credit for the way he coached this playoff run, too. Doesn't close the game for Michael Porter. Closes with Bruce Brown, who makes the game-winning putback layup with 90 seconds left. Denver had gone through a couple minutes of a bad stretch there where nothing they did, like, it wasn't really in their control. But they accidentally fouled Michael Porter on a third, or accidentally fouled Aaron, or not Aaron Gordon, Jimmy Butler on a three and Jimmy played poorly, but he came alive right at the end there and thought he was going to win the game on the road, made a three, made another three, like got fouled on a three point attempt and made three free throws. And suddenly Miami's ahead, even though Denver had been up for much of that time and Denver needed to play themselves. Jamal missed the shot, missed the jumper. Bruce Brown comes in from the weak side for a layup and puts it back with 90 seconds left. Denver ultimately gets the final stops. They allow 89 points, capped off by Jamal Murray forcing a Jimmy Butler turnover. He drives against Murray, tries to kick the ball out, but slides after Murray kind of slides away from him too. Great defense, great positional defense and feet and discipline. And then KCP jumps the lane, forces a turnover. Denver gets fouled. Bruce Brown goes to the line, hits two free throws. KCP forces a miss, 
from Jimmy Butler down at the other end. Denver gets the rebound. Bruce Brown goes to the line, hits another two free throws. And Denver wins by five. They win 94 to 89 and win their first NBA championship in franchise history. What a moment. What a moment for Denver. What a year for Denver. And I'm glad I was able to do this. I'm glad I was able to cover this with everybody. What do we learn about the Nuggets from this series? They were an elite defensive team. They were hiding in plain sight throughout the season. But when the going got tough, Denver was able to rise above. They were able to play the needed defense that they had to. And it was starting with Nikola Jokic. They were able to build the defense inside out. Throughout the year, KCP, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, Aaron Gordon, they had covered up perimeter weaknesses at various points. They had covered up slow feet from Jokic and mishaps from MPJ at various points. Jamal Murray coming back from a torn ACL, not playing his best defense early on in the season especially. But as the year went on and as the playoffs went on, those guys, they all played better defense. And Jokic, most of all, I would say. Jokic was one of the best defenders in the playoffs this year. And it's never, it's crazy to stay, say things like that because Denver has great defensive personnel around him. They built a great defense around his skill set, which is mostly based on rebounding, but it's based on good hands, good positioning and verticality at the rim. And it didn't matter that Miami got 26 points on occasion from Bam Adebayo on the short roll because it took him 25 shots to do it. And sometimes you're just going to live with inefficient shots. And Denver, in previous years, had got burned by it. But this time around, their offense was so good that they weren't going to get burned by inefficient shots anymore. They were going to be the team that laid the smackdown on you, and you had to keep up with them. So mid-range jumpers were not going to work. They just weren't. And Denver made it work for themselves. Murray had one of the best series of his career. Aaron Gordon was essential. KCP had great series, although this wasn't his best one. Bruce Brown was good. Christian Brown stepped up when he needed to. And Michael Porter, though the shooting slump persisted throughout most of this series, found ways to be a positive contributor even when the jumper wasn't falling, which was the moment of growth and realization that Michael Malone and the coaching staff have been asking from him for a long, long time. It's really cool to see. It was really, really important for Denver. And I am glad that we were able to live through it together. We were able to see it. It wasn't just going to be uh, an offensive shootout all the time. Although Denver's offense was fantastic, they needed to hunker down defensively. I think Miami did as good of a job defensively as they possibly could to slow down Denver's offense. But it didn't matter because Denver also had another gear defensively, just like they did offensively. Folks, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Media Day. We're going to talk about what's coming up next week. Uh, but this was fun. This was a really, really enjoyable experience, and I hope you guys enjoyed remembering an epic Denver Nuggets playoff run with me. Good morning, Broncos. Nine to... 9 a.m. every Monday through Friday. Uh, Broncos better get in gear this weekend, that's for sure. Really hope that they can figure that out. But uh, we will just have to see 
what uh, what they're what they're made of against the Chicago Bears. If they lose this week, then there is no reason for them not to tank. Which a very stark comparison between them and the and the Nuggets. So interesting stuff. Uh, but thank you everybody for hanging out with me tonight. Final segment here. Let's chat. Uh, Stefan says, love your pod. Thanks for helping me get through my work time. Of course, Stefan. No, uh, or if it's Stefan, I'm so, I apologize. But of course, uh, I'm, I, that's what I'm here for, right? That's what I'm here for. All right, burning questions. I wrote an article today at milehighsports.com that you should definitely go check out. It's titled, conveniently, Burning Questions for the 2023-24 Denver Nuggets as Media Day Approaches. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that that would be a good idea? Gotta love it. Um, We're going to talk about this real quick. I'm going to go through my article and people are going to share their thoughts with me. All right. First one I have here. How do the Nuggets end up replacing Bruce Brown and Jeff Green? Now, I'm doing a similar series here on the podcast where if you've been around, you've seen 20 questions. You've seen these are the preview topics that I've been going through. I've gone through about six of them, maybe seven but I'll be ramping them up as we get closer here. Uh, this upcoming week, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for it. So it should be very good. I might double up on topics at various points, but I do want to be able to get through it. Just lots of stuff come up, coming up, and I wanted to be able to do this instead. So, But the one question that I think everybody wants to know is how is Denver going to replace the two guys that, that played major roles for them in the championship run? And we have plenty of questions as to what they're going to do. It's going to be a mixture of Christian Brown and Peyton Watson. It's going to be uh, maybe one of the rookies steps up. Maybe Reggie Jackson and Drew, Justin Holiday are better than we expect. But that's what I'm thinking. That's where I. That's where my head is at as we enter training camp. And I think a lot of that is going to be borne out over the course of this next week. Like who's going to be in the rotation? Who's going to get the opportunities? Who's going to look good? And who's going to be ready for a championship defense? That's the most important aspect, whether you're a young guy or an old guy. More than likely, the young guys are probably not going to be ready. So Denver's going to have to combat that. They're going to have to figure that out. Next, are Christian Brown and Peyton Watson ready for expanded roles? Because I think that those two things are independent. Like, can you replace Bruce Brown's skill set? Can you replace Jeff Green's skill set? Neither Christian Brown nor Peyton Watson are Bruce Brown and Jeff Green. They are different players, different styles, and a little bit different in terms of personality and what they're actually capable of giving on the offensive and defensive ends. More natural athletes are Christian Brown and Peyton Watson. Christian Brown is a little bit taller than Bruce Brown. Peyton Watson a little bit more athletic uh, side to side and, and vertically than even Jeff Green, although Jeff can obviously get up for a dunk. Not as important uh, as just being a constant burden to the guy that you're guarding, which I think is something that Peyton Watson can definitely do. Uh, But we're going to see what these guys look like in expanded roles. I think Christian Brown is ready for 20 minutes a game. Not sure that Peyton Watson is. Like We're going to find out real quick whether he could play a consistent 20 minutes a game in the regular season and whether he's going to be asked to be because Denver has plenty of guys in the starting lineup that can play a lot, but you also don't want to overburden those guys either. The one thing about Jeff Green, even if he wasn't perfect, you could still slot him in for 20 minutes a night and know what you're going to get. With Peyton Watson, it's going to be very up and down. Might be better, and it might be worse. We're going to see. Next, 
Are Reggie Jackson and Justin Holiday veteran voices or something more than that? This is an important one because Denver brought back Reggie Jackson. They didn't really go scouring the free agent market for upgrades over Bruce Brown or like to replace Bruce Brown. They, they just knew that they were going to get Reggie. And Reggie is a guy who at point guard is going to give them an opportunity to have a little bit of an identity as a pick and roll ball handler. He's going to space the floor. He's going to set the table for other guys. And we're going to see what he can do. We're going to see what he's capable of. Now, Reggie Jackson is what he is, uh, but he might be a better version of that in Denver this year than he was in Denver last year, just by the product of having an offseason, having opportunity to really become integrated into what the Nuggets are trying to do. And the other guy's Justin Holiday, who's brought in on a veteran minimum. Nobody believes that he's going to be playing consistently. And then Vlaco Chanchar got hurt, and you're starting to have even more questions because it's not just Bruce Brown and Jeff Green. Now it's Vlaco that you're trying to replace. And Vlaco, I think, was the natural Jeff Green replacement. So this is going to be very interesting to see what, he, what Justin Holiday can provide, if anything. He's a six foot six, 200-pound wing, somebody who's not very big. He's not going to play the three. He's not going to play the four. He could be a small ball three. He could be a natural two. Uh, but more than anything, he can be a versatile defender who gives Denver options on that end of the floor as a as a little bit of a ball hawk, as somebody who can get his hands in passing lanes and do a lot of different stuff defensively. So we will see. We'll absolutely see what those guys are capable of and if they're capable of anything at all, because we, we just don't know. Next, will a rookie contributor please stand up? I mentioned rookies, Jalen Pickett, Julian Strother, Hunter Tyson in the article, all three of those guys, Denver brought in specifically because Calvin Booth believes that they're going to be ready to play sooner rather than later, and that it's going to take maybe just a little bit of time to get them up to speed, but they could be ready sooner than an 18-year-old or 19-year-old in the draft, or a 21-year-old or a 20-year-old. Those guys, Julian Strother, I think is 21, but he's kind of like he's a third-year guy out of Gonzaga. And he played multiple years and had a role and really understood that role in what is a kind of a professional system in Gonzaga uh, surrounding a player like Drew Timmy, who is a good Jokic approximate. And then you've got Jalen Pickett, who's a very smart ball handler from Penn State. And I got to sit down with him. I think he's wonderful. I think he has a, a lot of great potential. Will he be ready to step up? Hunter Tyson, who was first team all summer league for the Nuggets in Las Vegas, is that going to translate to the NBA level? I think it will, but is it going to translate immediately? Because I think if I'm Denver right now, the the depth chart that I have going into this thing is Reggie Jackson, Christian Brown, Peyton Watson, Hunter Tyson, and Zeke Naji. That's the depth chart I'm looking at for the second unit the main second unit guys. And that's fine. Like, it could be good. I think there's a good theory behind that lineup, especially if Hunter Tyson can be like a a nice pick and pop option for Denver. Or maybe Zeke Naji has a little bit more of a leap in him and he can provide some good rolls to the rim. But it's also pretty unproven. Like, actually extremely unproven if we're being blatantly honest. So if a rookie contributor stands up, and really helps out and contributes, then that would go a long way in Denver figuring some stuff out about their bench, 
Uh, they need guys that can really step up because they couldn't replace Bruce Brown effectively. So, got to find out what they can provide. Next, and second to last question. What is the next level for Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr.? What is the next level for those guys? Can they provide a different level in the regular season? And that might seem ridiculous when I'm talking about Jamal Murray, who just averaged 26 points, 7 assists, and 6 rebounds in the playoffs just a a few months ago. And was very efficient, was a fantastic scorer and playmaker, and even leveled up defensively. Like, it might seem ludicrous, but here, this is what I want to be the main takeaway. In each of Murray's last six seasons, he has averaged the following points per game across the first 25 games of the season, of each regular season. In his first season, he averaged 9.8 points per game in his uh, rookie year. Second year, he averaged 14 points per game across the first 25 games. Third year, he averaged 18 points per game. Fourth year, he averaged 16.9 points per game. Fifth year, he averaged 18.8 points per game. And then this last year, after coming back from the torn ACL, he averaged 17.5 points per game. That's not great if you're looking at an all-star. It's just not. Like, those are not all-star numbers. Those are not all-star scoring numbers. And couple that with him failing to clear 35% from three in any of those 25 game spans other than his rookie season where he was playing shooting guard. As a point guard, he has started slow every single season. This last year, he had a great excuse. He was coming off of a torn ACL. This year, sat out FIBA play, uh, sat out the World Cup, obviously had a late run in the NBA Finals, but there's no reason in my mind why he can't be putting up 25 points per game in the first 25 games of the year. Like, why not? Why not? I don't think he will. I think he'll probably be closer to 20 or 22 or somewhere around there. But as long as he's trending in the right direction and gives himself a reason and give gives voters a reason to consider him as an all-star this year, then I think that's fine. I think that's good enough. But it is interesting to think that that's probably the way that he gets better. So he just gets started faster. And then maybe by the end of the season, he is reaching a whole nother level. And I, I certainly believe that he can do that. As for Michael Porter Jr., um, the consistency with him was pretty good last year. He shot the ball well throughout every month, basically. Was a stable option and didn't really color outside the lines too much. Was a good player within his role. But I do think that now, especially if he can stay healthy, now's the time where you start to expand that role. Now's the time where you start to see, okay, can you handle more DHOs? Can you handle running an occasional pick and roll here and there? What does it look like when you are running the offense? And I'm not talking about like, hey, you're you're playing with Jamal and Nicola. Now we're going to put the ball in Mike's hands exclusively. Because I don't think that that's the best way to score. But I do think that as Denver gets back into regular season shape and gets into playoff shape, they are going to find when they suit up for the playoffs that Michael Porter's got to play. You don't have a Bruce Brown. You don't have another guy who can just come in and play when you need him to. It's got to be Mike, and he's paid to do. He's paid to be that. And if there is a reason to believe that Mike can break out a little bit more, then you should explore it. 
you should try it, especially this year where you're coming off of a championship. Everybody has that confidence that you can get to where you need to go by the end of the season. But especially in the first 40 games of the season, Michael Porter should be trying to handle the ball a little bit more. And Jamal Murray should be trying to do a little bit more as well. Jokic should be taking a step back. He should be averaging like 20 points a night. And that would be my that would be my expectation for him. It would not be to try to go get a third MVP. It would be to try to set up Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. even more. Make sure that those guys are getting up to speed so they can carry even more of the burden so that Jokic can play the best possible defense that he can play in the playoffs going forward. That was a secret, very, very important aspect of this playoff run was because Jamal Murray was so good offensively, because he took off some of that pressure offensively, it allows everybody to be better defensively. It allows everybody to focus on those things too. When Murray takes on more of that burden, it allows the burden to be shared. So that's what I think Denver should be trying with Murray and Porter this next year. Keep trying to push the envelope with them. And finally, will Nikola Jokic and the Nikola Jokic-led Nuggets ever have a reason to stay home during training camp? This is the final thing I'll talk about. Denver's going out to San Diego. I'm not going to be able to go. I'm pretty disappointed that I'm not going. Uh, there's other things that I can do here, and I will cover from here. I'll probably get some folks on that are out there, see if I could get them to come on the podcast and just share their experiences a little bit. But... Uh, it would be nice if I was able to go or if Denver was able to stay. But the fact is, is that Denver can't stay. There's no reason for them to stay. They do not have a practice facility. They do not have the space necessary to handle 21 players on their training camp roster, to handle all of the drills and all of the individual work that they're going to be doing, as well as going full court five on five consistently. They can't really do that in Denver. There's not a lot of space to do so. You need a second or sometimes even a third court in order to handle those things, in order to give people all the opportunities that they possibly can to be able to work out and to be the best version of themselves that they could be. Denver doesn't have that. They don't have the state-of-the-art equipment. And they should. Their owner is very, very rich. They just won a championship. Jokic is in his prime. Jamal Murray's in his prime. These guys should be here. They should have a reason to stay. And they're not, like, trying to get the best practice facility. That's not that's not what I'm trying to do here. Like, that's not the only reason that you keep those guys around. But, like, this should be a natural step. This shouldn't be something that they delay over. And yet Denver is still delaying and dragging their feet. Specifically, ownership is dragging their feet because of this development that's coming through. The Nuggets are going to be in town until 2040. Like, that's that's the agreement that was signed back in 2019. Them and the rock or them and the avalanche, excuse me. But an actual practice facility is not going to be in the works for a while. Like it just isn't. The development that the Nuggets are going to be trying to do uh, for uh, the area that they're they're developing near Elitches and all the parking lots and things like that, it's going to take twenty to twenty five years. That's the plan, and I think it's approved or or it's getting close to approved at, at this point for them to start doing stuff. But we're going to have to see. We're going to have to see. If, it, if it's 10 years until they can actually open a practice facility, Jokic will be 28 or 38, excuse me. Murray will be, I don't know, 36. 
it's not going to take advantage of that. Like, you're missing out on all your best years. So that would be really disappointing if that didn't happen. I don't think it's going to. So hopefully Denver can turn that around. There is a reason to believe that they could develop a practice facility sooner rather than later. I don't think it's going to happen because I think it cuts into the apartment plans that Kroenke has for all of this Denver area. But it is what it is. I'm not going to sit here and make a stink about it, but this is something that I've been thinking about. Like, if I can't go to media, if I can't go to training camp, there's a reason why. And one of the reasons is that Denver's leaving the state because they have to. They can't go anywhere else. Now, they could go down to Colorado Springs, but I think that Michael Malone would rather be in San Diego. If he's not going to get a practice facility in Colorado, he's going to go to a beach somewhere. And I don't blame him. I really don't. All right. I think that's it for this particular episode. Everybody, make sure to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. We just crossed 3K on the YouTube side of things. And I really appreciate everybody for stepping up and helping out on that front. Uh, It has been a pleasure to do this podcast for you, even during the offseason, where sometimes I've taken a couple days off here or there. I definitely scaled back the number of episodes that I was doing. But as we get back into the regular season, as we get back into prepping for what should be another championship expectation year for the Denver Nuggets, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to be able to podcast five times a week and do some awesome things with you. I also got some other things in the pipeline that, again, I'm going to not spoil because I definitely shouldn't, but I cannot wait to share some of the things that I'm doing. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you for spending your Friday night with me if you're here. Uh, For everybody else that's tuning in late, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you guys very soon.